All right then, and what's up, coppers? Welcome, well, well, fuck off. <laughs> that wasn't where I was expecting to fuck up. It's the Cult of Popularity Podcast. Welcome back, coppers, to another episode of the Cult of Popularity podcast, the only cult that doesn't perform large-scale fraud. Hey, mate, that works on multiple levels. Indeed it does. But more predominantly for this episode, because one of our topics is catch me if you can. Known for fraud and scamming. Some have even said swindling, which Flim I like. Flames. <laughs> yeah. But not only that, we've also got a bit of the... Uh, the in-betweeners. Yeah, so in-between in that you mean? In-betweeners. In oh, okay. Because they, they were tweens. No, they weren't. They were full-fledged teenagers. We've also got Red Faction, video game franchise. Hells yeah. Bit of Red Faction back on the old PS2. PS2 days? Classic. Absolute classic. Let's kick it off with that. As I say, speaking of. So, Red Faction. Mate, I remember when this first came out. I do too. I actually very specifically, vividly even, remember getting that game. I don't think I actually owned it as a kid. My brother did, and I used to play it over at his house a lot, and that was awesome fun. We used to play death matches against each other, and we'd make a deal that neither of us would shoot at each other for like the first five, ten minutes, because we'd spend the whole time digging a tunnel. And then, and then, like, like trying to see what how big of a tunnel we could build between like two buildings or whatever. Yeah, create like our own little mini map, and then it was every man for himself. Dude, that was one of the most amazing things about that game. Um, not that I knew it as a child when I had it. I didn't realize it was so awesome or revolutionary, if you will. No, I thought you did the time there in in uh in gaming. Um, was the very destructible environment that the game was set in. Yeah, and especially for consoles at the time, like the PS2, that was nothing like that had ever really been seen prior to that. Yeah, exactly. Not, not yet, literally, literally never seen before at all in any game on any platform. A game that you could just literally just go around and fuck the of the, just the entire environment of the game. It was had literally unseen. Oh, it was it was limited, but it wasn't very limited. Yeah, true. I think by the second game, there was a lot more shit you could destroy as well. Yeah, so I was looking at that. I never really played the second one as much, but I think it actually got um, marked down in reviews because it was still more linear, if you will, in like the, the way the game played. So it wasn't... They didn't actually take it on as much. Okay. Because I know the, the linear sort of style of it was what drew parallels between that and Half-Life when it first came out, when the first one first came out. Yeah, because I, I never really played it, but I was looking through it and look, looking at reviews. And um, from what I read, people were saying that it wasn't as, not as much of the environment was as destructible as compared to the first one. There you go. Maybe I've got them back to front. It's possible. It's very, very possible. Yeah, I mean, they're the main two I remember from the series. I haven't played Red Faction Beast. Obviously not, because it was never made. <laughs> I'm thinking about Gorilla. Um, I've never <laughs> played Gorilla. <laughs> Beast was never made. It was an intended spin-off of the series that was uh, meant to be released on the Nintendo Wii, but it was never never made at all. Gorilla, on the other hand, was the made. Poor, the poor Wii. The poor Wii, mate. I would have to say that's probably the least loved of all Nintendo's consoles. And it's, you know, which is a bit of a shame because there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. And it did have some good games on it, like the Mario Galaxy games were a lot of fun. And I just didn't get enough love. The big thing that was good about the Wii was if you were the kind of person that would do these sorts of things, you could completely mod them so you could play all sorts of games on them, like PS1 games, N64 games, all sorts of no, no, people can't do that. No, I know. Look, this no. might be a bit of a shock, but there are some undesirable characters out there that do do these sorts of things, and shame on them. No, for realsies. For reals, forever, ever. But we digress. We do digress. Um, yeah, never played um, Red Faction Guerrilla. Uh, I know it was there was a remake made for it for the PS4. 
um, which I was going to get prior to this episode, but it was like eight, nine bucks at EB and I was going to get it. I didn't have any copies in store. To order it online was going to take too long to get here before I could actually play it <laughs> and to purchase it off the uh, the PlayStation Store. It was like 40 bucks and I couldn't justify the jump from eight or nine bucks to 40 bucks. Nah, that's a big, it's a big jump. I tell you what, I never played it either, but looking into it and being, well, you know, back on Mars and oh, look at that, a remastered version called Remastered. Oh, what genius came up with that? I fucking hate them. It was an open world game. Yeah, it was. I, re- I researched that much of it that it was, yeah, a open world game. It had a vastly different gameplay system, which is, you know. As long as you can still fuck everything up. I'm That's sure it would have been it. fun. And I have briefly played Armageddon. I played it for a little while at a mate's place. That wasn't too bad at all. Not too bad? Not was too it memorable, bad. though? No, nah, it wasn't as memorable as the first two. I was getting into the later you, games. You did play the second one then? Yeah. I didn't okay, play story. Or I, from what I saw of it, apparently it... Well, because it was set on Earth after the events of the first one. Yeah. And you had, like, a team with you. Yeah, I didn't play through a lot of the story. I just played a lot of the multiplayer on that one. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah, see, that's fine. Yeah, I never really played much of the multiplayer on it. From watching videos of it, though, it reminded me a fair bit of like, um, uh, like sort of Unreal Tournament style death matches and things like that, or you know, Quake and everything. Yeah, which you know was all the rage. It was pretty good when you could play it with like a group of mates. Get the old, the old multi tap out for the PS2 and. Plug that bitch in. Oh, yeah. Plug in all the, the controllers. The old fucking multi-tap. Mate, you were on. Knew it was going down when the multi-tap came out. Oh, mate. No sleep No sleep for anyone that night. She was balls to the wall. You're all right then. Whoa. Whoa. You could be bringing new meaning to the word multi-tap now. Um, um, did not know that. That um, to tie in with the release of Armageddon, Volition actually released the mini-game uh, called Red Faction Battlegrounds, which was like a top-down two-stick vehicle-based shooter oh, yeah. that they released on the X- on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network that you could download. So that was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, right. I don't mind a bit of that. I reckon that could have been fun. Yeah, I don't mind um, like top-down shooters and, and stuff like that. If they're done right, they can be a lot of fun. They can be, definitely. I remember there's a few top-down sort of two-stick sort of games. Even new ones that come out nowadays are quite fun to play as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So to give you a little bit of a bit of a peek into the future of the Red Faction game series. So in December 2012, THQ actually filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And they sold off a lot of the their properties, Volition being one of them. Although apparently Red Faction was not part of the actual transaction. And it was then repurchased by Nordic Games as one of the last of THQ's assets. Being, it was being passed around and back and forth and no one really wanted to do anything with it, so they just gave up on it and it's just been shelved pretty much, which is a little depressing. Sad. Sad. Um, getting back to the destructible environment, the uh, that whole style of things we were actually just discussing before we started recording, um, some information we found on it, which was the... It was it was actually going to be included as a feature in, like, Saints Row 3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which... <laughs> Because there's not enough, there's that not enough the, chaos. The new, that, that was the second iteration of the GM or they made um, when Gorilla, Red Faction Gorilla came out. <laughs> um, so that game was based off the Saints Row engine. And then they were going to put the GM mod into Saints Row the third. Because, <laughs> Can yeah, you imagine it? Mate, there's not enough chaos in Saints Row games as it is. That's it. It would have just fucked it. The city, I don't reckon it would have lasted very long. Like People were just going in. They would have just fucked it up every building they would have had to put something in it where you could like i don't know like destroy the city and then you know go the start like after each mission and it rebuilds or some shit you're also in after each mission ends or something and you come out it's just like nothing ever have fucking happened everything's just pristine again for you to just go and fuck up again with no explanation and to be fair the ways the saints rose games saints row games went probably would have fitted Oh, yeah, 100%. I actually really hope that we draw them out at some stage because I really want to talk about the Saints Row games. I fucking love them. I think they're a great series. Mm, I don't think... I don't know if I've ever played the first two. I know I've played the third one, the fourth one a fair bit. I've played Mm. all of them except for Get Out of Hell. Yeah, right. Interesting. Anyway, again, we digress. 
getting off topic again. Um, it was sad that, that THQ went under because THQ actually made some really banging games back in the day. They did. They made a lot of good games. Uh, but unfortunately, they, you know, all do good things do come to an end eventually. And as with all, you know, semi-popular video game series, um, there was obviously a spin-off film. A spin-off? A spin-off. There was a spin-off film, or I guess you call it a film, feature-length TV movie called Red Faction Origins to coincide with the Red Faction Armageddon. Which is pretty cool. Apparently it's meant to like fill in uh, a gap in the story between Gorilla and Armageddon, so I've never seen it. No. I didn't even know it was a thing. Neither did I. Until we did some research. I think overall though, as a game for the time that it came out on the console it came out, it was pretty, you know, ahead of its time. Yeah, definitely. It definitely offered um, a groundbreaking feature to gameplay. Oh, I see what you did there. Been... No, that was that was actually that one was not intended at all. Fuck. <laughs> Anywho, that you now see um, is a staple behind many many games. Oh, fuck. I wouldn't. I would be interested to know whether or not it even gave inspiration for things like Minecraft and other weird, quirky games where you can just kind of reshape and remold the actual environment around you. All those sort of sandbox games. Yeah, Mercenaries was another good example of that. You could, like blow up like bridges and just completely shut off cities and all sorts of shit. Mate, I've been able to destroy environments just absolutely no regard at all. Anything else that's going on is fucking amazing. It is. It's it's, it's a great thing. Sort of to give a little shout out to the first game. Uh, actually, Maxim gave the PS2 version uh, five stars out of five. Their direct quote was, "We have to admit that most first-person games nauseate us, but Red Faction smooth graphics and easy gameplay make it hard to put down." I think they're giving it a little bit too much there. Oh, they're, they're, I would say it probably wasn't the smoothest game to play. It's a little bit clunky. Although at the same time, I replayed it again recently on PC and I don't think it was ported very well. I, like, I'm pretty sure it was just a direct port from the PlayStation 2 to the PC and it did, that did not work too well control-wise. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I know Maxim's not a very, you know, reputable magazine. I probably shouldn't say that. It's slanderous. But <laughs> what I'm getting oh, at is there is another magazine that gave it a, a score that might be a bit more to your liking. Playboy gave the same console version a score of 90%. It said virtually every element of Red Faction is, neatly, is nicely polished. Even the controls are intuitive, unlike most console shooters, which make PC gaming vets long for a keyboard and mouse. Potentially. Um, I don't know how well I'll take a Playboy magazine uh, review of any video game, but one thing that I thought was freaking astonishing about the game is that it was released on the Nokia N-Gage. That is pretty funny. Like, what the fuck? For one, I didn't know that a Nokia N-Gage was powerful enough to run a game that was intended for a, like a full gaming console. The old Nokia Engage, I remember wanting one of those so fucking bad when they came out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Never got one, but wanted one so bad. If I, if I see one at a garage sale, I'm going to buy one. Do it. I hope I don't know where I'm going to find games for it, but. <laughs> what a, yeah. Well, if you don't know what an Engage is, it's, it was a mobile phone, but it looked like uh, one of those cheap fucking shitty handheld consoles that you buy. From like two dollar store, Pretty but it can actually play play games. Well, that's, that's honestly what it looks like. It looked like a shitter version of a Game Boy Advance. That, that's actually that's even better. Actually, that's a, that that most people should know what that looks like. I did the nail pretty well on the head, I think. But it was also a phone. It was also a phone that you could call people on, text on. I seem to remember one of the main games that came out on it was there was one of the Tony Hawk's games came out on it. And there was a tomb, yeah, that's right. there was a Tomb Raider on it as well, and that was the, I think they were the, the, the launch games that came with it, which really piqued my interest because I love both of those series. And if you haven't already, check out our episodes where we talk about Tomb Raider and Tony Hawk's. Oh, nice cheeky little plug. I like yeah. it. Why not <laughs> plug our own shit? On of course our, we can plug our own shit on our own shit. <laughs> Can't think of a better way to do it. It was interesting 
that when they actually came up with it, uh, Volition were actually working on Descent 4, which Lompole was going to be a prequel game to their first one, Descent. It got cancelled, but then they took some of the plot behind it and as well as obviously the technology behind what they were doing with the GM mods um, and put that into Red Red Faction. Things that stayed were things like the main character's name being Parker as well. Yep. Apparently that's about all they kept. That and using the Geo mod engine, but cool, whatevs. Um, other people have also drawn similarities between the game and the film Total Recall. I can see that. You know, being on Mars, bit of an uprising going on. Fuck you, guards. Apparently, one of the lead game designers, Alan Lawrence, uh, did acknowledge that there were similarities. Um, however, the film was not an inspiration. It was just pure coincidence. Bit of a quinky dink, he said. The old quinky dink. So, you know, cool. It'll get you every time, the old quinky dink. Mm. It's very, it is very sort of communist in a lot of ways, though. It's definitely got a very communist vibe of it, I'm not going to lie. I mean, just looking at the cover for the first game, just this red background with a fist in the air holding a bloody pickaxe. Yeah. Even the second game, though, if you look at the cover for that, it's a very communist propaganda looking poster oh wow that is isn't it very a lot of uh yeah it feels very like russian communist yeah wow yep. second one more so gorilla you could probably even stretch it to gorilla yeah the um oh yep yeah i'll say that yeah oh, i've got the hammer on that one hey hey and then armageddon the pickaxe and then the hammer and i think if you if you were to take those and put them together, the pickaxe would be on the right and the sledgehammer on the left. And I wonder if that was a quinky dink. Mm, I don't think that one's a quinky dink. And then you look at Armageddon's cover and it's just a stock standard shooter looking cover. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Have a look at it. Political correctness culture had come in at that stage. Yeah. Can't be promoting communism, apparently. That's interesting. Just looking then at like an overview page of the Red Faction series, and it says the platform's available. It says Nintendo Switch. That'll be for the Gorilla. There must be some sort of remastered version they released on it. I reckon that's the um, Gorilla Remastered. <laughs> oh, there it is, yeah. Released July 2nd, 2019 for Nintendo Switch. Yep. You are right. It was the remastered version. Remastered. <laughs> Look out. That's time. That's time. All right. So, wrapping up, Red Faction, a lot of fun, uh, especially if you're playing with mates or whatever, you can have a lot of fun playing it. Revolutionary for its time, yes. Overall, as a series, pretty hit and miss. Uh, yeah, it was a bit hit and miss. I only give it two and a half sledgehammers out of five. Two and a half. Oh, I'll be a bit more general. I'll give it three. I'll give it three and a half. I'm only thinking because the first two no, games... No, no, just three. I don't know. I don't know. You, you threw me off guard there. No, just a straight three. Straight. Hard three. Yeah, I think it's because the first two games were really, you know, I they, I have a lot of memories with them. They were a lot of fun. And then, then the other ones, I haven't played a lot of them, but everything I've read and seen on them is not great. So... Um, mm, I, don't so. I don't think it stood the test of time either. Nah, it really didn't. But hey... What can you do? That's it. And from, you know, being able to destroy everything in place to a guy that destroyed some people's lives. Whoa. Catch me if you can. Destroyed some people's lives. It's very true. Um, it was honestly brutal, is what I would call that. Uh, that's how I live my life, man. That's how I live my life. But Catch Me If You Can is, the, is a great film about um, the escapades, if you will, of one of the greatest forgers of of the 20th century. Well, just not just a forger as well. I mean, he was a full-on con man. Like, he was... That's probably a better word for it. Yeah. I think the, the movie poster sums it up perfectly, which basically says the true story of a real fake. Nice. Both Leo and Tom do, do great jobs of portraying their characters as well. Oh, their performances, whether or not they're true, the real characters or not, their performances in it were great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty star-studded film, if you think about it. Like, it's got, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, the great Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, Natalie Bay. I don't know who she is, but... 
<laughs> yeah, it's a great film. Like it's it's one of my favorites. I, I will sit and watch it. Yeah, a lot. Of, I've watched it a lot of times. I've sat down and watched it. I remember I, I didn't really watch it. Want to watch it when it first came out because I was just like, ah, it doesn't really seem that interesting. And then when I actually found out what it was all about and that it was based on a true story, I was like, all right, I have to give this a go. And I'm glad I did. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. It's um, it's interesting, like, because you watch it and it, it watching it like, but did he really? Like, you know, you're watching a movie and it's so fantastical that you almost forget that you're watching a movie that is based on on a true story of what happened to a man. And the way he actually lived his life. It's so almost until you get to the end of the film, spoilers alert, like, not that much, but when, you know, they run down and it does the whole, this is what Frank Abagnale then went on to do with his life afterwards, after he was caught and everything else that you kind of remember, get brought back to the real world and it's like, oh shit, that wasn't just a movie. This was actually, this really did happen. Yeah. Um, a few liberties taken. There's another Leo film I can think of that is like that as well. The Island. No, I was thinking Wolf of Wall Street, mate. <laughs> Shutter Island, obviously, though. No, no, that is a shit film. That is a fucking terrible it movie. It is a terrible film. It's not terrible. I didn't really enjoy it, though. It's too predictable. Uh, but no. Uh, look, it really was. My my mate got very, very mad about me telling him the plot twist in that. Yep. But uh, let's, yeah, let's go through some of the, well, the, the very basic sort of rundown of what um oh Amy Adams is in the movie as well, just quietly. Uh, she is, yeah. She's just quietly, by the way. Quietly. Side note, <laughs> throw that in there. Um, so yeah, Frank Abagnale. Uh, it's actually Frank Abagnale Jr. But he not anymore. Now it's just Frank Abagnale. Now he's just Frank Abagnale because he's dead. That was brutal. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, <laughs> right, I doubled down on it. Um. <laughs> Yeah, basically came from a pretty sort of working class family. Ran away from ran away from home when his parents went through a divorce. He started, you know, doing scams and and doing things. Actually, I think one of the first real scams he did was he he stole a heap of car batteries from a Oh no, he used his dad's credit card that he stolen when he ran away to buy a heap of car batteries and bits and pieces for cars from one garage, then went and sold them to another garage for cash just so he could have some cash on him to go do what he wanted to do and, and get away sort of thing. But mostly known for check fraud, really, I guess is the, the main thing he was known for. He had a lot of check fraud, but the impersonations as well. Yeah. Um, impersonated uh, pilot and forged Pan Am payroll checks. <laughs> which obviously back and in- that's amazing as well. Like between... So, I mean, the thing is, he did all this over the space of five years between the ages of 16 to 21. Yeah. Right. And in that time, between 16 and 18, uh, Pan Am reckons that he flew as a passenger more than 1 million miles. Uh, For real people, that's 1.6 million kilometers (laughs) on more than 250 flights and probably went to 26 different countries. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Imagine being that young and seeing that much of the world for free and getting paid to do it without mm-hmm. knowing. I guess back then, though, it would have like been- He would have put up in nice hotel rooms and stuff as well because like, he got to use the um, you know, the suites and stuff that were given to pilots and everything else. Yeah, so they used to basically yeah treat them like royalty when they flew everywhere. It's crazy to think. I mean, I guess back then it would have been a lot easier to get away with that sort of thing than it is now. Because of, probably, be, probably, probably because of what they did. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but it's crazy to think that someone could just, you know, walk in, pretend to be a pilot, just told him that he lost his, his uniform. They gave him another one, no questions mm. asked. Well, they gave him one. I shouldn't say they gave him another one. He didn't have one in the first place. <laughs> Important distinction. I like, I like even like in the film. I don't know if I, I've never, in all my research, I haven't come across anything that actually points to it. You might have found something that I haven't. In the film, when he's soaking all of the, the model planes in the bathtub to get the stickers off of them to put on the checks to make it look legitimate, mm. I don't know if he actually did that or if that was just some, like, Hollywood stuff. But if he did, that's awesome. That's, like, a really clever way to solve that problem. Yeah, that's true. Um, no, I didn't find anything about whether or not he actually did that specifically to fake the um, payrolls. Yeah. 
I did find something. I did read something that he really did do, though. Mm. And this was pretty crazy. And so he, apparently he used to uh, magnetically print his account number on blank deposit slips and then add them to the stack of real bank slips in the bank. And then that would result in the deposits on those slips by real bank customers entering his account rather than the accounts of the, of the people they were meant to go to. It's crazy to think like that. It's a simple, it's a simple thing, like just changing numbers. How many people would 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 you know read that carefully and and everything like that? Which is yeah, genius, really. But yeah, the, the pilot thing I guess was crazy because you know he was deadheading, is what they called it. And would be able to fly for free and, and things like that. Um, I, was, I actually read a book. Um, it wasn't just about him, but it was about famous con men doing some research for a new career potentially. <laughs> okay. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, no. I, I, that was like basically a, a bit of admission there, mate. You, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> I'm not who I'm not who you think I am. Um, no, I just remember. I just remember reading this book because I've always been really fascinated by all different sorts of crimes, like con men, serial killers, all that sort of stuff. Um, There's one thing I was hoping you weren't going to say, by the way. Um, what's that? I was like, yeah, all sorts of crimes, you know, con men. Maybe I don't know. Anything but serial killers would have been more reassuring. Parking just so tickets. You know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, wait, whoa, whoa. Look, people, that was a subtle dig at me because I got this bloke a parking ticket last weekend, all right? Actually, <laughs> wasn't meant for a subtle dig. And then as soon as I said it, I was like, fuck, he's going to read into this way too much. <laughs> I was just trying to think what's the opposite of serial killing. Like, parking tickets, I guess, is, like, pretty tame. The opposite to serial killer is a doctor. Is <laughs> a doctor. I don't know. If you're a really bad doctor, you... You know, may lose more patience than a serial killer kills. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off track. So I remember reading through this book. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. But basically what it said was when he would fly or deadhead, other pilots would ask him to take control of the plane if he wanted to, you know, because you know, they obviously enjoyed flying so much. They thought, oh, this guy, you know, we're having all the fun over here. Let him have a go. And um, no, they were just lazy, man. They're like, "Fucking, I'm getting paid to fly this thing right now." But hey, mate, you want to fucking go? This can't do fuck all because all pilots speak like bogan Australians. Just so you're, uh, if you weren't aware, aware. if you weren't aware, that voice they put on when they come over the thing, like the uh, captain's voice. Anyway, he was. He said he was, you know, offered flying at 30,000 30, feet. So he took the controls. First thing he did was enable the autopilot. Because, and this is a direct quote from him, that he was very much aware that I had been handed custody of 140 lives, my own included, because I couldn't fly a kite. I mean, I think that speaks volumes in itself, the fact that he compared flying a plane to flying a kite. Yeah. Two very different things. Flying a kite's pretty (laughs) easy. (laughs) The wind does a lot of the work for you. But he, he did. It wasn't just a pilot. He was a you know he impersonated a teaching assistant at um the Brigham Young University, uh for a, for a whole semester. They do dispute that claim. They do dispute the claim. However, I'm pretty sure he was the one that said. Of course, they disputed. Is that is that the one we were talking about before? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, a lot. Um. Well, actually, someone actually started looking into it. So, someone actually started thinking. Hang on. Wait a minute. Did this bloke really do the shit that he says he's done? Because, um, you know, obviously afterwards he became a speaker and everything he was talking about is not so much his exploits, but what he'd done in teaching others how to stop other people from doing what he had done. So apparently a reporter from a San Francisco Chronicle started looking into it and started calling banks, schools, hospitals and other institutions where Abagnale had said that he had gone to and couldn't turn up any evidence of... The cons, all the aliases that he had used or said that he had used at them, um, to which Abagnale's response said, due to the embarrassment involved, I doubt if anyone would confirm the information. And then he also later said that he had changed the names. So he changed the fake names that he used so double whilst fake. doing those things. That's it. Which is pretty smart. The more troubling one was he impersonated a physician. Pretty much the, the first job that he got was like a, a more of an administrative sort of job. So he was fine that with that. Um, but then he went and worked in like a pediatric ward. He basically didn't realize what he was doing and, and you know, how 
he was nearly exposed for, uh, when an infant became critically unwell from oxygen deprivation and a nurse invite, informed him of a blue baby and he just left the hospital and realized he couldn't put lives at risk by you know doing stupid shit like that basically yeah he didn't understand what what the term blue baby meant yeah yeah it's a pretty scary thing uh happened to my son um once oh, when wow. mm, it's just that they just stop breathing just for some reason they just forget to funnily enough in most cases you can just kind of blow on their face and it kind of kicks out and back up which is what happened with mine so it wasn't that bad i didn't even go bright blue or anything and wasn't very long at all but still freaked the fuck out I was like you stop breathing yeah yeah, pretty scary. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something, you know. I assume it would be a very common thing as well within the medical world. It would have freaked him out, though, because it would have been like, you know, I nearly, mm. I nearly killed a baby. Like, that's pretty fucking scary. And then he actually became, a, like, he actually passed the bar exam and became a lawyer. Like, he actually did something legitimate. I guess we should probably try to tie back to the movie itself. Uh, so, at the end of the... Oh, so, yeah, good point. I don't think you see him do the teaching assistant thing in the movie, do you? No, not from memory. You see the pilot, you see him be the physician, then you see him go to being um, an attorney. Yeah. And then you see him eventually captured. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, That's it by Carl Hanratty. If you weren't aware, wasn't actually the real FBI agent's name that he did, um, that actually pursued him. No, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, I imagine. Um, and then, like a lot of no, nah, his real name was what was it, like Joe something. I remember what was it now. I knew what it was because I looked it up and I read it with my eyes. With your human- uh, Joseph Shear was the real FBI agent's name. I actually chased him, who he did. He really did become good friends with. Apparently, Tom Hanks actually chose the name uh, for Car- of Carl Hanratty for the character based on a on a, like a U.S. football player or something like that. There you go. Did not know that. And then he eventually went on to do what a lot of, you know, captured criminals and, and things do, and that's help law enforcement agencies with, you know, how to track down and catch people that were committing, you know, similar crimes. Mm, yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, because that was interesting. I know we're going we're going real off off thing with the film again, because apparently after he came out, he was like, he tried getting jobs and everything else like that. When people found out who actually was, they obviously told him to fuck off. Um, so he actually went in, which is a bit harsh. So he apparently actually went into some banks and told them, look, I can train your staff up on how to spot fake checks and things like that and just different things in the way that people might, I don't know, carry themselves or whatever else just to try and spot fake shit that's going on. Yeah. And he said, I'll do it. I'll teach everyone if they... If you really don't think that it was of any worth, I'll do it for free. But if you think it was, pay 50 bucks and pass it on and let other people know and I'll go do the same thing there. There's a lot of people that have done stuff like that though, like um, Larry Lawton, who was a pretty big bank robber in, well, not bank robber, basically banks and jewellery store robberies, sorry, more jewellery store robberies than banks um, in the US. He now works with jewellery stores and places like that to help them future-proof their shops against crime, against people breaking in or, or robbing them and stuff. Um, yeah. Do you think it's a mentality of like, I can't, I didn't get away with it and now no one else fucking will either? Maybe. I don't know. I've seen videos of him going in though and he'll go into like a, this is way off topic, but I'll quickly get it in there. Goes into like a jewellery store. That's what she said. Says, I'll put, just put all your normal security measures in place. Goes in, cases the place, goes in, Cuts the alarm, breaks through the door, has already cased where all the expensive shit is, grabs all the expensive shit, leaves, bang, 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 gone, gone within a couple of minutes, and has taken like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of shit, like just by yeah, himself. Right. And then said, This is how much money you could have lost because your system wasn't up to scratch. This is what you need to do to fix it, which is great. Now pay me some money. Now pay me some money. Um, Ted, Ted Bundy actually helped people catch, help law enforcement catch other serial killers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Again, very off topic. You know, uh, I didn't think there would be a, an exact science to serial killing. Like, I always think that's some sort of weird, deranged mind shit going on there. I wouldn't expect there to be a real pattern behind it. But hey, who knows? They're a bit weird, and I don't get it because I'm not a serial killer. I get it. I think it's no, I'm just, coming I'm back on topic though. Yeah. So apparently, development for the film began in 1980. Yeah. Um. 
but obviously got dragged out for a very fucking long time. Well, they needed- This film didn't come out until, like, what, 2002? Yeah. Well, they needed Leo to be old enough to play the character. He was meant to be 16. He was meant to be 16. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he got dragged out apparently until 1997, which still leaves another fucking, what, five-year gap until the movie came out. But um, apparently DreamWorks actually bought the rights to the book in 1980, though, after he wrote it. So there you go. And apparently there were quite a few directors considered for it um, before Spielberg just went, nah, fuck it, I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah, there you go. Apparently Abenel believed that Spielberg was the only filmmaker that could actually do the film justice. He had little involvement with the film himself. He, he didn't want to really you know, interfere and go through any of that. In real life, though, he, he's one of the liberties of that was taken with the story in that in real life, he never actually saw his father again after he ran away from home. Mm, I remember uh, reading that. I was like, wow, shit, that's rough. That is rough, but he wanted to have some... Then Spielberg said he actually wanted to ha- have some sort of connection where Frank kept trying to please his father uh, by making him proud and seeing him in uniform and everything like that. To, uh, and then Abner was actually a real big fan of the idea, and I'll... I've sort of paraphrased what Spielberg said, but I'll, I'll go word for word with Abagnale because it, it really sort of does, deserves that the way he words it. So uh, he basically said, even though I didn't see my dad again, every night after living a brilliant day and meeting many women and making much money, I'd come back alone to a hotel room and I would just think of my mum and dad and fantasize about getting them back together again and cry. It's the justification of a fantasy. Yeah, it's crazy. It really does show like he was still in many ways sort of not like a kid, but, you know, he was obviously still young and... Oh, yeah, he was adolescent. Still going through that whole, my parents have split up and stuff and everything else. At the same time, though, look at all this money and bitches I'm getting. Spielberg said he wanted to create a film that sympathised with a crook, which I think he did perfectly. Um, At no point do you, through the whole movie, do you think, I really hope this guy gets caught. Like you're actually kind of spurring mm, him on. You're like, yeah. You're like, come on, you can get away with it. Keep going. How long? How long can you keep it going? It's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because I don't think, like, even though his crimes, not necessarily, they're not necessarily victim victimless. Because obviously, there would have been people left without money or whatever else that he had scammed off them. He didn't hurt anyone. He actually returned all of the money that he took as well. Really? Yep. Over time, he's, he's, yeah, right. he's returned all That's the other thing I was wondering as well. I wonder if you actually got any money from any of the... Because, you know, not law is you can't um, profiteer from... Proceeds of crime. Yeah, exactly. So, curious if you actually even made any money off the movie. But yeah, he said, I was watching an interview with him and he said he returned all of the money because he didn't really have a way to spend it. He'd made so much money that there was no way for him to be able to spend it all in, in, his, in his lifetime. Uh, Holy shit. That's a lot of fucking money. Did you see how much it was? No. No, how much did he make? Um, I think it was only like, this is obviously back then when he was younger. And when he got well, when he got mm. caught, it was like two and a half mil or something like that. Shit. But back in those days, it's a lot of money. And it was a lot of money. Yeah, I think I, I saw a much smaller amount um, like equated up from, it would be something. Here we go. This will give you a, so okay. So back then he went and picked up when he was on the run. He went to go pick up twenty k, which they say would have been a hundred thousand dollars in today's money. Yeah. So. So. Oh, that's a lot of zeros. It is Holy shit! A lot shit. of zeros. Um, but to quickly wrap oh. up, he basically returned all the money. Said he didn't want to, you know, have ripped off any people or anything like that. And he actually said the the one thing they said when he returned the money, a lot of the people said. It wasn't about the money. They felt violated. He said it's the same as if someone breaks into your house and they don't take anything, but they've been rifling through your things. You feel violated. Yeah, right. But that is time, unfortunately. Um, It is. Yeah, that was was good. uh, I was having some good fun there talking about old Frankie. Old Frankie. I would give... I'd give Catch Me If You Can. That's a hard one. Um, I'm going to give it... Four Pan Air model airplanes out of five. I was going to say four rubber checks out of five, but okay. Nice. But we agree on four. Interesting. Yeah, on four, yeah. Yeah. So we go from catch me if you can to a group of mates that can't catch a break. No? Not a fan of that one? The the crickets. I'm I'm actually going to find a fucking cricket fucking 
sound clip. I'm going to fucking insert it in there when I edit this. Your cricket sound effect. I thought that was a cracker. I like it's going gonna, gonna to happen. There will be crickets. There will be crickets. But yeah, the in-betweeners. But the in-betweeners, the weird and bizarre and at times, I don't know, almost unwatchable adventures of four mates. Yep, I can see that. Oh, an almost unwatchable thing. It's at certain points, like it's just like, whoa, what the fuck? At the same time, though, I think it, it probably more accurately or more honestly reflects what it's like for at least four young males growing up together as friends. friends. The shit they actually go through. The friends. Uh, Football friend. Yeah, I, it is pretty spot on. And there is a lot of cringe. There's a lot of times where it's just like, oh, and, you, and you're hoping it's going to work out and everything's going to be okay and it's not. <laughs> but it is, it isn't. It never is. It doesn't actually. Yeah, that's the thing. Most times you watch it and it, it all ends up being okay. It never does. Yeah, it doesn't. It just, it just completely shits itself all the time, every time. And um, funny I should say that. Just it, like Will. Just like Will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It is it is a banging TV show. I'd never actually watched it all from start to finish until this year. I'd watched a bit, I'd seen episodes here and there, and never actually sat down and watched all of them. When I got back from uh, Singapore and Vietnam, and I was in fourteen days isolation, uh, it gave me the time to sit down and watch the series. So I did. Yeah, mm, yeah, a good series it is. Oh yeah, it had always been on my list, but mm-hmm. never got around to it, and then. It's been quite a while since I'd gone through and actually watched the whole series. I remember watching it when it came out, but yeah, hadn't rewatched the whole thing for quite a long time. And it was um still shocked and surprised at the things I saw. Yep. Where to start? Um the beginning. Oh <gasps> Whoa, that's groundbreaking. Profound. Starting at the beginning. Um well, we'll start at the beginning. First episode. Well you meet all of them obviously, but you start off with Will. No. Yeah. Essentially, is the main character. Yeah, and the narrator as well. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Uh, you forget that he narrates it. Yeah, but so it's basically following his parents' divorce. He ends up moving to a public school from a private school, which would be a culture shock for him, and it was. He was a complete and utter fucking twat. Yeah, he really was. But he, you know what? He's like a white Colton Banks. He is, although Colton Banks is like a white Colton Banks, but... Uh, <laughs> Very good. Um, but then he meets uh, three mates, uh, Simon, Jay, and Neil. All very different people, all very different personalities. Mm. Uh, you got Simon, who's cynical and hot-headed, but also sort of can be a bit withdrawn at times as well. Um, Jay is very immature and arrogant and boasts about a lot of shit, mainly his... Sexual exploits, which are non-existent. <laughs> Very. And Neil, who is basically, he's really nice, but he's a fucking dumbass. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much sums him up. Yeah. Very succinctly. Tell you. But it's, like, it's, a good, it's a good mix as well, though. I was watching um, an interview with uh, James Buckley, who played Jay. Yeah. And he said that probably is what led to the f- being so successful is because the four of them did sort of cover... Is it, well, what he said was everyone comes up to me he's like, oh, I've got a mate and he's like you or I've got a mate and he's just like Simon, everything else. And that was the thing that made it work because everyone could relate with the way those four characters were. Yeah, oh, 100%. Um, I was actually watching a snippet from a special they released. Uh, it was like a re- sort of like a reunion special hosted by Jimmy Carr. They were talking about when they first did, like when they did the first couple of episodes or the first season, the um they were all they all still had like outside jobs like regular jobs james buckley's job was he was like it was like a kitchen installer and he went to go pick up this kitchen and the guy this guy was like um he's like aren't you on the telly he's like yeah what, are you, what the fuck are you doing here you just did picking up a kitchen <laughs> you know james buckley's great i've actually enjoyed him in most other things done as well seen it he was, he was in zapped uh, which he was the central main character for, yep. which is um, if, you've, if you can find a way to watch that, uh, it's on like Dave UK. Okay. I do recommend it. It's a little bit different. It's a bit quirky. Our bloke who gets sucked into a f- 
an alternate world where everything's all like medieval and shit, but still, it's quite good. Yep. And I've seen him in a couple other things, like he cameoed in, uh, what was it, episode one of the, one of the new series of Red Dwarf? Yep, he was in that. Um, obviously, he was also in another show that we've covered on the show as well previously, White Gold. Um, yeah, true, with Simon Cooper. Uh, well, Joe, Joe Thomas, who plays Simon Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they did great again. Yeah, that was a cracker of a show as well. One of my favourite characters from the in-betweeners, though, would have to be Mr. Gilbert, played by Greg Davies. Mm. Um, he's just such a smart ass, Quick-witted, <laughs> very sharp, likes to basically run down the kids as much as possible. Yeah, he's definitely, yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely not a very um, encouraging sort of, um, well, they, they, they use the head of six, so it's not, I was, oh no, is he, is he the headmaster? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Seems like some weird British thing in regards to schooling that I don't understand. But yeah, he's just, yeah, not he's not the most supportive teacher. No, not even a little bit. There's Polly McKenzie as well, who's Will's mum. We had to get to Will's mum at some point. She's obviously very attractive and pretty much all of Will's friends want to root her. Yeah, much to his... Uh... Chagrin? You fucking what? Chagrin, much to his chagrin. That's a word. Sure. Fucking look it up. I'll take your word for it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, one of the running gags is that Neil often asks Will if he can ask his mum out. <laughs> but sincerely, that's the best thing. Like He sincerely asks nearly every time. It's not as a joke. It's like, oh, yeah, and can you just ask your mum for me? Yeah, like it, it's so genuine and it's um, just ridiculously hilarious. Um, I haven't seen the US series. I'm not going to watch the US series. Got no interest in that at all. Apparently that was one of the biggest failures ever. I'm not surprised. Something that I did notice though, that one of the um, show's producers, um, Ian Morris, helped with the production of Peep Show as well. Yep. Now, this I found interesting because I've watched Peep Show and I was watching Betweeners and something, a comparison that I've always made is that Jay, have you, have you ever watched Peep Show, should I ask? I've only seen as well? a couple of episodes, so I haven't seen a lot. Okay, for people who've seen it, I see a lot of comparisons between that Superhans from Peep Show is basically Jay growing up. Interesting. I'll have to watch it now and see if I can, if I can pick up that. Oh, no, okay. trust me. If you watch it, you'll see it. It's like that. that's Jay as an adult. Um, you can almost see the two mates um, that are centrally, that it centers around the peep show. could almost be Will and oh, it's more so, say, Neil than Simon. Right. But you could. You can, you can sort of draw parallels between them and say that it's just them growing up. There you go. I'll have to check it out and uh, I'll get back to you, Barry. You too. If you watch it with that in the back of your mind, you'll be like, holy shit. In between is all grown up. That's awesome. Um, now, this is where we're going to go into a bit of deep water because I haven't actually seen the films. Uh, I have seen the films. However, it's been a very long time. I couldn't actually find a copy of the first film anywhere, but everywhere, everywhere has the second one going on. Yeah. So every streaming service that we've got access to has the second film, but not the first film. No, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure both stands and Netflix have both the full series and the second film, which is ridiculous. Mm. Like it's a really shit way to run your service. They need to take a long hard look at themselves. Um, so, if anyone heard that? That is my wife yelling in the background at the TV. She's watching rugby. Uh, I heard it. What's she watching? Who's playing? Uh, Ruth. She's watching league, isn't Ruth's she? Cowboys. Yeah, fucking shit house. Uh, we had our teams play till the last week and there was nearly a blue in the household, but luckily, <laughs> luckily my boys won, so it's fine. <laughs> she wasn't stoked. I was, um, well, basically the, the two films so, sort of focus on the lads traveling to other parts of the world. First one, they go to, they yeah, go to Greece. First one, they go to, yeah, like, like that's basically set right after, um, the, the end of the series when they finished high school. And the second one, they go for a little little visit down under. Australia. 
Which is probably the reason why the second one's available on the streaming services down here. Probably. Because it's nothing we want to see more than a bunch of fucking four British kids come down to Australia. Yeah, that's it. Um, talk about some of the, I don't know if you call them recurring gags. Are they recurring gags or are they just little iconic moments like the the friend, football friend? <clears throat> that is a good recurring one. I do like that one because re-watching it, I only remembered it specifically being in the very that first episode where it's about Jay's mate. Friend. But yeah, that one does pop up again because I didn't remember, remember it like that. I thought it was like that was a one-episode deal. Yeah, and that's actually the name of the the reunited episode I was talking about. Uh, well, the reunited special hosted by Jimmy Carr is called Friends Reunited. <laughs> In the snippets I've seen from it, they actually get the old car, the yellow one with the red door, and they go back to the school. And it's just funny watching them interact with each other and talk and shit. And Joe Thomas actually says to James Buckley, why don't you one in the window and yell something? like?" And then... James Buckley's like wanker bus or something like that. And I'm, I'm like, he's totally fucked that up because it's bus wankers. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, you just recently re-watched it. I think um, I saw that clip. I think the funny thing was the fact that he ha- still had that bloody script Lucille, shoved up under, under the cover of the headrest. Yeah. Mm, that was hilarious. They all lost their shit. Yeah. Um, there's also another special that was recorded in 2011. Oh, really? Apparently they yeah they drove around the UK in that Fiat. Oh really? Um, yeah, it was called the In Between Is Rude Road Trip, and the aim was for them to go around and find the fifty rudest place names in the UK. There you go. I'd watch that. Yeah, I was actually just thinking it when I when I read about. It, I was like, shit, I didn't know that. I'd watch that. Yep. But um, the movies were. I mean, going back to them a bit. I think the first movie was definitely received a lot better than the second one. Um, I guess because the first one kind of gave a little bit of closure in regards to some of the storylines that went on, like, um, for instance, uh, Simon and Carly. Yep. Where Simon's still bloody fucking infatuated with her and going on and everything else. And the boys all going together and, and you know, trying to uh, fulfill their sex quests. Yeah. It's, um... And well, second one brings them down under because Jay's already in Australia. He's claiming to be um, a, visiting a, family. He's claiming to be a DJ in Sydney, living in an apartment, fucking models, and he actually goes the rundown of the people he says that he fucks, and it's like it's it's crazy because it's like um, El McPherson, Dame Edna Everidge, and then Kylie and Danny Minogue. <laughs> but the Dame Edna Everidge is the, is the one that's a little concerning. It is, isn't it? But hey, you know, each to their own. You know, we don't judge here. We don't judge. We're not about that. Yeah, they f- find out that he's just like fucking. He's a. He, he that he like works in the club bathroom, which pretty sure, is not a thing in Australia. I've never had someone waiting in a club nightclub toilet with like to wash my fucking hands or give me fucking towels or anything. Mate, I've been to nightclubs in Australia. You do not want. You don't want anyone to be in the bathroom when you go in there. No, like, fuck no. It'd be a shitty job if there was someone that actually does that. No. Oh, I'm sure there is in other parts of the world, not in Australia. I always thought it was, that sort of thing was just sort of like reserved for fancy restaurants and stuff. That's true, true. Yeah, definitely not nightclubs in Australia, no. especially not in fucking Sydney. Um, yeah, second movie probably wasn't as good as the first one. I think the first one was good just because it did give us that sort of closure and everything else that we're after. And the second one just more seemed like they made it because they could. Yeah. I hate when they do that shit. So let's just make it for the sake of making it. People will still want to watch it and we'll make mm. money. It's like, fuck off. Oh, I'm sure they thought that they actually had something good going there, but it just just wasn't as good as the series or the first one. Yep. Oh, wow. I didn't actually read this about the Friends Reunited um, special they did. It was poorly received mm. by critics and fans of the series, leading to James Buckley making a public apology. Oh, shit, yeah. I knew it was really badly received. I didn't realise he made a fucking public apology about That's it. That's pretty fucked. Mm. He actually seems like a really nice, genuine guy. Like, he he's nothing like Jay. I think that's what makes good actors good, though, is like to be able to play characters like that. They get to release that part of them where they, you know, they would norm- they'd normally never be like that, but they get an opportunity where they can. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, the interview I watched with him um, it was cool because they were like, "Oh, they were like, oh, can we, 
can we talk to you about in between as like you know obviously thinking that he's probably fucking sick of it he's like no nah, i love to talk about it. he's like that he's like obviously he's like it's not very often you get to be something part of something that's so huge yeah and he said he and so he was like more than happy to talk about it, which you could see there was actually like a sort of um, visible release of tension from the two blokes that were interviewing him. Yeah, when he was just like, "Ah, oh, it's fine. Nah, I love talking about it." I think it's I think it's good. Um, that shows a lot of his character as well as a person, though, because it does show that he he hasn't forgotten where he's come from. That's what put him on the map. And mm. oh yeah, he he actually said he said for the first series he got paid six grand. Fuck. Hmm. Which is why he was still fit in kitchens. Yeah. Um, he did say though. Apparently, when they came back to him for a second series, they were like, "Yeah, okay, then you want us now? Um, let's talk dollars." So, yeah. obviously, bumped up the price a bit when it came to that. Oh, you'd have to. I, okay. I wish I was paying a bit more attention, but I believe he actually said that in. I think it might be one of the movies that one of the girls he ends up being with in it is his actual real real life wife. Oh, wow. Hmm. There you go. Little, uh, what is it? Art imitating life. Life imitating art. Life imitating art. I think it's the correct expression. <laughs> it's funny, though, because his character in White Gold is very similar to Jay in a lot of ways as well. That's true. Very crass, very, yeah, just a real dirty bastard, basically. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. Not to put too fine a point on it, but I actually went into the US version of it to see if I knew any of the like people, the actors they cast to play one of the boys? No. No, I did not. What? I went into the US version of The Inbetweeners, looked it up to see if I knew any of the actors, like if, I, like if they went on to do bigger and better things. They played one of the four boys. I did not. I did not know who they were. But that is time. It is time yet again. Wrapping up. Great TV series. Lots of laughs. Lots of cringy moments. Oh, so many. That's that is an understatement. I can't really comment on the films because I haven't seen them, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like it was one of those things I'd watched after wanting to watch it for a long time, and finally having the time to sit down and watch it all. I was actually like, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, no, definitely. If you if you like that sort of weird British humour, um, go for it. Give it a good watch. Give it a raz. Get it into your eyeballs. Get it up, yeah. Oh, shit. We need to rate it, Trent. We do need to rate it. Um, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it four and a half wins out of five. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah. I'll, yeah, four and a half. It's not perfect, but it's pretty close. Not perfect. I think one point we did miss there as well was that originally it was going to be called uh, Baggy Trousers. But I changed the name. Good call. I think so. But let's come to that time. Let's see what's in the hats today. And I just like picked up about four fucking different things and they all fucking flew everywhere. Hang on. Awesome. You're killing it. No, all good. Killing it. Just absolute nailing it here. Pick up this one that fell on the floor. No, oh, that's tundered in. It's really fucking tight. Oh, fuck, I think that's fucking second one inside it. What the fuck? Now look out. Two for this one. is a mega franchise. It's a very, very big franchise. Star Wars. Spans. No, it's just this game. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess they have a a fucking massive franchise there too. Oh, no, that was just... No, there wasn't a second one inside. It was just the the first little bit of it. The massive Uh, game. Big game franchise, though. Uh, Spanning over many different eras or times. Mario? No, Negatory. Assassin's Creed. Actually, is I was I was trying to think of another clue that was going to be obscure, but it actually is Assassin's Creed. I was I was thinking because I, was, I started thinking, like, does he mean real time or does he mean like the games themselves are set over multiple times? <laughs> yeah, no, fair call, fair call. All right, it's gonna be hard to cram Assassin's Creed into twenty minutes. Uh, yeah, could oh, I don't know if I could regale it down to just the first ones. We'll just go to the main series. Main series? Yeah. We can skip over some that are shit. Like Assassin's Creed 3. And Syndicate. And Unity. So it's basically 1, 2, 3, Black Flag, Origins, and Odyssey. Oh, yeah. I'll see what you're saying. I'll see what you're saying. Yeah. Fuck the rest. We'll just... We'll uh, all right. I've got a movie here. Movie? Yep. Uh, yeah. 
book adaptation. Right. Uh, children's book. Right. Um, starring a little girl as the main character. Matilda. Yes, it is. I'm oh, sorry. Couldn't tell you the name because I kind of gave it away, but uh, yep. That's awesome. Danny DeVito at his finest. Mate, some of his best work. Uh, this is a TV series, obviously. I would hope so. This used to be a staple of Saturday night Australian television. Wow, I couldn't have made that any easier. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. How did you know? Oh, just a wild guess, mate. That one's going to be an interesting one. We have to see if we can find some clips on YouTube or something to try and find. We, we are going to have to find some some clips on that with fucking Pluck a Duck and everything else. I used to fucking love watching that shit when I was a kid. Well, there you go. Great set of uh, set of things for us, set of topics for us to cover. You know, don't forget our the next episode after this one is going to be a in depth episode in one sort of topic, which is going to be the Back to the Future trilogy, which would be awesome. So you keep your eyes peeled for that one. And hell's yeah, um, or your ears open. Um, ears open. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know anymore. But as always, feel free to communicate with us on the socials. We're on pretty much all of them. We're not on TikTok. Probably won't be. There's a good chance we might end up being on TikTok. But we'll see how we go. There is. We'll get, okay. we'll get roped into it, I'm sure. Mm. We'll probably do it drunk one night. Uh, <laughs> that's a very <laughs> us thing to do. Remember the time we said we wouldn't do it? Oh, not tonight. We'll do it. Um, yeah, hit us up. Messages. Give us feedback. We love it. We'd love to hear from you guys. And that's been another episode of the Cult of Popularity Podcast. As always, cop that.